the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Arthur Millick, welcome to the Manhood Hour. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. All right, so uh, thank you for joining us for our deep dive on what our civilization faces and how we have to revivify the art of masculinity, manhood, and the eternal truths upon which our Judeo-Christian civilization is born. But for those of uh, the listeners and viewers who missed our prior chats, uh, who is Arthur Millick and what do you do and what is Claremont? Well, uh, thank you. Uh, The Claremont Institute is a think tank like many others, and I think that we do some of the most interesting work around. We're on the cutting edge of understanding uh, where America came from, how we got into this uh, bad state, and where we're likely going. And I personally run the Center for the American Way of Life, which is uh, Claremont's D.C. Center. And what we focus on is doing as much as possible to uh, poke holes in the chinks of the armor of the woke regime, uh, to cut it down a notch. Uh, and then to build up our own forces to resist it. So that's a very broad and bold summary, but that, that is how we understand our jobs. Well, I'm very glad somebody is doing that. So let's talk about your Center for the American Way of Life. Um, what is the health report, Arthur Millick, on the American Way of Life? Well, I would say very broadly that it's it's easy to get depressed about the situation in America. And a lot of conservatives, I fear, go too far in that direction. They have good data at their disposal. They're not just making things up. Things are indeed getting worse and worse. Um, Habits of self-government are decreasing. The border is open. The intel state is weaponized against many people on the right. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, I still find some elements of hope. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, The right is becoming more serious than it has been over the last several generations. It's becoming angrier. It's becoming more strategic. It's learning to flex its muscles in a way that it simply has forgotten how to do. You see this in how the states are becoming more and more serious. You see this in some of the things that uh, President Trump Uh, has said while he was president and now is saying on the campaign trail. And you see it among a lot of people who are growing discontented with the direction of the country, are starting to look at it more and more as uh, exerting an illegitimate power over them. And you almost feel the revolutionary spirit in the air in the country. And these, I think, are uh, signs of health. Um, Many fear that it's a sign of instability, but the truth is that any free people has to, at some point, assert its rights Uh, to rule itself. And so that's taking place right now. There's just a couple of victories that I can name off. In fact, one in particular uh, that's worth noting. I think that five years ago, it would have been absolutely unimaginable for us on the right to think that one person, the efforts of one person, basically Bill Ackman, could get the president of Harvard fired, Mm. who belongs to the most sacred class 
uh, the most sacred protected class in America. But that did happen. Uh, and there's a lot of support for that happening. I don't mean to give you, you know, small time optimism that doesn't amount to anything. Of course, what we're used to is having tiny victories and then moving on, patting ourselves on the back and thinking good enough, we can go back to normal America as usual. That's not going to be the case. But to get these kinds of victories is a very big deal and a sign of some hope to come. Let me uh, drill down on that for a second, that that success of that, I think he's a billionaire, to basically yeah. get this um, anti-Semitic pro-genocide lunatic out of her position as the president of Harvard. But uh, with that one example, isn't it a shame, Arthur, that that person really stepped down because of her plagiarism and ended up staying at Harvard with her $400,000 paycheck, but not as the president. I mean, it started because she refused to stay on the floor of the Congress, that citing and shouting from the river to the sea, which means the expulsion or the murder of all the Jews in Israel, is a genocidal charge. She refused to do that. But the real issue was the 40 instances of plagiarism in, in, in the 10 articles that she wrote. So is that a kind of half a victory with regards to getting back to normal? It's an interesting question. Uh, I'll take the victory. Uh, <laughs> you know, she has to, first of all, it's it's actually worse than what you said. Uh, it's not a $400,000 salary. I believe that she retains the salary that she had as president. So it's $900,000. So, so, she, so she, oh, you're right. And then she doesn't have to do the job of a president. So the same paycheck, but she doesn't have to run anything. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, so look, yeah, it's true that she was taken down on the grounds of plagiarism. Uh, but keep in mind that, in a way, that's a bigger deal than it would seem, uh, because what it meant was that finally Harvard found the kind of crown jewel in the DEI diversity game. We have found the person that will perfectly represent mm. this morality that we are trying to impose onto every institution of higher ed and to every national institution. And it turned out that she was not just not qualified, as we like to say, but a fraud, an outright fraud yes. that plagiarized. And so exposing that uh, shows that Harvard, in its own way, still deeply wants to believe in the system of merit. Whatever you may think of merit, um, they still deeply want to um, want to believe that their pride rests on not just Harvard being some old storied institution with a lot of money, but the best. And if you want to believe that, you can't have hires like this. So the thing that I regret more, actually, than her just going off to pasture and collecting $900,000, but remember, you left this out, also living in shame for the rest of her life. And I don't think that she is ashamed of herself, no. but I think that everybody will look at her and know that oh, you're a fraud. Uh, and, and you made it uh, that high as a fraud. Now you've been uh, kicked down a notch. Um, I think that the thing that should be regretted more, actually, is the fact that I fear that uh, this will be another instance where the right takes a victory lap, gets a victory. And relaxes. And yeah. That's yeah. It. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unlike the left and the Alinskyite tactics of uh, you have a victory and you just dust yourself off and you fight even more. We don't, we don't take victory laps. We don't relax. Uh, you keep on fighting. That is the way of life of the left. Uh, uh, Arthur, the, the president said, I will be your retribution. I will be your justice. He said, I'm a dissident. And uh, on this November will be uh, our new day of liberty and freedom and judgment for those who are trying to destroy our civilization. One issue I have with those who want to save what we hold dear is that we might have a conference here or a conference there, but President Trump isn't really an ideological figure. He is an alpha male in the quintessential definition of an alpha male. I think that's why a lot of the establishment detest him, not for political reasons, but you know just how much of a man he is. Have we done enough work as lovers of Western civilization to define what it means to be a conservative in the 21st century? Talk to us a little bit about your book. Well, the book is, I I appreciate you saying that it's my book, but it really is the work of 20 authors. It's an edited volume that puts together topic by topic uh, of where the right went wrong over the last generation, what the consequences of that have been, and what we should do going forward on every issue that you would care about, on immigration, on big tech, on higher ed, et cetera. Um, So that's its purpose. And its purpose is to redirect where the right goes from here, because what we've been doing has accumulated in mistake after mistake after mistake, Um, and mistakes that uh, sometimes look like victories, sometimes in the moment give you hope that things are just about to change, and then you look back five years later, and you're like, wow, this thing, this whatever institution we have in mind has been taken from us. If you zoom out to take a broad look at America, we have to ask ourselves, number one, what institutions, national-level power institutions, actually belong to the right? I think the answer is none. And you have to ask the next question, how did they get taken from the right? And I think often the answer is that uh, they were taken from the right on the right's watch while the right was uh, pretending to do something about it. I'll just give you one concrete example on higher ed. How many, as you said, endless conferences, seminars, white papers have been written about reforming higher ed? How many man hours have been spent to try and do something about it? How many billions of private philanthropic dollars have been given to try and do something about higher ed? And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, And the reason is that oftentimes the right doesn't really want to win. Explain that. Why, why, Why do they not want to win? They don't want to win because they have no real moral self-confidence in what they teach. Uh, They don't want to win because it's easier to just give things away to the left and pray that you'll be left alone. Uh, They don't want to win because at the end of the day, what many of these people that, that, that animate the institutions that are, quote, saving America on behalf of their donors, what they really want is just a comfortable life, all of the cocktail parties, and not to actually be hated by the left and attempt to be destroyed. That, I think, is the bottom line. That's fascinating. So uh, let's step back, uh, you know, one more iteration. Why do these people who have nominally controlled half of the nation's thought lost that moral courage? What happened? Why, Why do they not wish to fight for that which they say they represent? 
Well, part of the reason clearly is that they're scared. Uh, they're scared and they see what happened to President Trump. Uh, President Trump ended up having every single, as I said before, national institution turned against him. The universities, the press, the Fortune 500s, the administrative state, now the intel state, and now maybe not long into the future, the military itself. So people really are scared. Uh, if it weren't for Elon Musk purchasing Twitter, I think that the game may well be over. Uh, so it's partly the fear. It's partly also this view that many uh, of the older generation on the right have that, you know, politics is just about pendulum swings. Sometimes it swings in our direction. Sometimes it swings in the other direction. But ultimately, it reverts to the mean. And the truth is that that is a cope. That is a kind of um, lullaby that you tell. Because the obvious response can be given, which is that the pendulum swings back until it doesn't, just like it didn't with every other great nation from the past. It seemed like the pendulum would, would swing back in ancient Athens until it didn't. The same thing for Rome. The same thing with uh, the great British Empire. Uh, they don't want to see that sometimes there isn't just some kind of internal uh, inertia that reverts to the mean. If a reversion to the mean is possible, it's done through real political action, yeah. through gathering your own assets, through bolstering your own powers, so as to make the left back off. And as you know, the left does not like negotiating. They're not interested in hearing what no. you have to say. No. But they can back off if you have enough powerful institutions on your side to make them doubt the next step. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Arthur, you said something. I want to make sure I heard you correctly about the institutions, which are right. The conservatives just lost control over every institution that celebrates virtues and rights, what it means to be a man, what Western civilization is. And then you said, if it were but for Elon Musk, we would have lost them all. Are you saying that uh, is that a glimmer of hope? Um, how big a deal is that? Because I, I've been on several, I've met him in the White House a few times, and then we've been on several, what do you call them, Twitter spaces together. And he's not a philosopher. He's not even a conservative. He, he, he's like a, uh, for me, a Nikola Tesla kind of genius level individual who's just discovered politics. And it's this shiny toy. And he's just getting a, his head around what this thing politics is. Uh, is this the, the one little glimmer of hope we have that at least there's one platform where there's freedom of speech? I, I think you're probably right about uh, your assessment of him, although the truth is we, we we don't know that much about him, though he is new to this. I will say that 
in a way, him being a newcomer is an advantage. He's not steeped in the old lullaby cliches. Yeah. Uh, he just uses his instincts and sees what the stakes are. Uh, the stakes are extremely high if you lose the freedom of speech, while at the same time the regime has absolute power to control the narrative, to control the facts, and importantly, to control the platforms on which conservatives and Americans communicate with one another, you're done. You, at that point, don't really have elections. You have elections through the optical illusion prism that the press provides. You don't really have the freedom of thought because there's no genuine exchange and persuasion among uh, American citizens. And he felt all of these things. And I think that, if anything, that makes him uh, superior to the many, many D.C. types that I met uh, in my time here and who up until very recently had been saying, well, you know, you don't like how Twitter's going. Well, why don't you build your own? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I heard that. And nobody suggested, well, why don't we find a really wealthy person who's actually patriotic to buy it and make it into the free speech platform that is necessary if there's any hope for the right to, you know, legitimately lead the country? So you're saying he's unburdened by all the baggage of the establishment. So he comes to it with fresh eyes? With fresh eyes and with sure instincts. Uh, I mean, he's... And, and I would add one other thing to that. Uh, he also looks at himself as a visionary, and he wants to be a savior of the West uh, in a way that, as we talked before in the previous segment, you know, much of the establishment right doesn't look at itself that way. Uh, it wants to... Uh, get a little bit of money here, a little bit of comfort there. And that's what you call a career uh, without ever taking risks. He is a real risk taker that sees the burden of saving the West has to, at the end of the day, fall on one person's shoulders. And he thought that he was worthy of that task. Now, I don't mean to exaggerate that. I don't mean to say that it's going to happen just that way. I don't mean to say that everybody's kind of savior illusions are valid. But you know what? It turned out that there was one extremely wealthy person who had some kind of vision and sense about things, and he purchased the platform, as he explicitly said, for those motives. I think that you know we should, we should be recognizing that and should be very grateful to that and wonder why, for all of the billions of dollars that are spent annually uh, to fund professionalized conservatism, why not a single person ever thought of something like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a theory, Arthur, about the president and why they hate him. So you outlined for us the the sinecure corporative empire of conservatism, Inc., that doesn't want to win because then they'd actually have to do something and the left would hate them. They'd rather pick up their sinecures of two, three, four hundred thousand dollars and not actually have any responsibility. I think that the, the Never Trump movement the establishment conservatives detest President Trump because of this alpha male attitude that he'll say, you know, damn it all, whatever it takes, the slings and arrows, I'm going to fight for America. Does that make sense to you that there's kind of this visceral atavistic hatred based upon how he represents as an alpha male? Yes. And I would I would add uh, the following that what they wish deep down is that politics would still be about gentlemanliness. Yeah. 
we're just polite to one another. We make arguments to one another. Uh, we can come to some kind of agreement and both sides be kind of satisfied and that be good enough. I wish that it were so. I wish that we were still a country and I hope we become once again just such a country. The problem is twofold. The problem is that the left has uh, absolutely fanatical designs on the country and refuses to be negotiated with. And uh, in a certain way, you could say, well, from the left perspective, why negotiate with the right? They just lose over and over again. Look, we've taken every single institution away from them under their noses. They've barely made a peep about it. Why continue to negotiate with them? Um, and so when they see Trump, you know, Trump can be crude sometimes, but Trump ultimately is a man motivated by uh, a mission to salvage what is possible of this country. He gives genuine political talk, genuine talk about protecting a constituency, protecting the country. And they're not used to somebody that actually has anything at stake. They're used to uh, a class of politicos that at the end of the day, as I said before, they don't really care one way or another where things go because the only things that's at stake usually are their careers, their bonuses, the next uh, um, position that they get as a VP at Boeing for doing nothing. Uh, they're used to those kinds of political people rather than patriotic people who are actually attached to something and feel that they're losing something. Yeah. Well, how do we engender more of that fighting spirit? Because we see in the last 10 years, there's these two options. Jordan Peterson, you know, tidy your room, make your bed. And then the noxious uh, girlfriend beating, pimping uh, Andrew Tate. Uh, hopefully he's being rejected. But I want to take the Jordan Peterson message to the next level. How, how is that best done? Because there's only one of him, Arthur. Uh, there's only one of him, and he's a smart guy. He's a very interesting person, and uh, but it's not enough to talk about making one's bed, although I know that he does much more than that, though that's kind of what he got uh, to be known for. Um, I think it has to do a lot with uh, finding something that you are actually defending about the country. Now, here's where you get into the, the, the Tate problem, is that the more the country signals to young men that it despises them, the more it tells them that they are filled with all sorts of idiotic prejudices and illusions, that they should be subjected to pharmacological treatments, to therapies, etc. When the country looks like it has no idealism for them, that is one plausible direction that they can go. Uh, so I think that there's a kind of truth that's being expressed in the Tate message, not that I am in favor of it. I just mean to say that that's what maleness may look like when it's shorn of any kind of idealism. Uh, and the more the country's in possession of the left, the less idealism that there is. So I suspect uh, a lot more of that is actually going to emerge. Um, you can't love a country that tells you at every step from every organ of power that it hates you, that it despises you, that you've caused all of the evil at the core of the country, and then tells you, hey, and why don't you go give up your life uh, to right. purify your soul fighting for it? It doesn't work like that. It's part of the reason that you see 
uh, how drastically military recruitment has fallen. Uh, it's a fascinating thing, and it's a very dangerous thing, because one day our country will find itself in a situation where it has to fight, and there's going to be that persistent recruitment crisis. And then it's not clear what we're going to do. We're going to double down on mercenary forces. We're going to double down on all sorts of unproven or semi-proven technologies. And we are running a very dangerous game uh, in this regard. Yeah, I, I would say the Andrew Tate phenomenon is not just a shorn of uh, ideology or idealism. It's shorn of any virtue. That man brags about uh, basically being a pimp and uh, beating up uh, multiple women. You said something interesting at the very beginning of the hour that, you know, if we're victorious, if we can save our civilization, our nation, get back to the virtues, the the principles upon which it was founded, we won't be going back to life as normal. What does that sentence mean? Does it mean that being a conservative, being a, a protector of Western civilization in the 21st century is fundamentally different from what it was in prior centuries? It means partly that uh, a lot of conservatives have some illusion about going back to some specific point in history. Uh, and uh, everything simultaneously will return to that. And that's where our efforts should be invested. 1950, uh, 1970, whatever that date is. And the truth is that we should be forward looking. We should be a forward looking movement that looks to secure peace stability and rights for uh, uh, the majority of the country. Uh, and that can only be done in the kind of fierceness required, in the kind of strategic uh, vision that is required of it, if we are no longer tied to having in our imagination some one marker to which we will return, because you can't. There is no return. The institutions are different. The demographics are different. The people are different. The opinions are different. Everything, or maybe not everything, but many things have changed, and we shouldn't hinder ourselves that way. Yeah. Uh, have an understanding that thing, the principles may not have changed, the values may not have changed, but the context has. So let's get ready to rebuild and to salvage that which those who hate our civilization have tried to destroy. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Send them to our website, townhallreview.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.